Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Let's Run, the Western Mass Running Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Gaudet. This podcast is made possible thanks to the resources at East Hampton Media. My guest on this podcast is Mike Sheldon. Since 2008, Mike has been the race director for the Westfield Half Marathon, 10K, and 5K event that will take place this year on Saturday, September 11th. And Mike is also the race director for Gordy's first race, the 10K and 5K event in Westfield on New Year's Day. All proceeds from these races benefit the Boys and Girls Club of Westfield. Mike has an impressive running resume, having run 33 marathons, including 14 Boston marathons over a 15-year period from 1996 to 2010. Mike and I discuss his work as a race director and his Boston Marathon experiences, as well as his cycling trips to Italy and France to watch the Giro d'Italia and the Tour de France. Mike is quite an interesting character, and I'm sure you'll enjoy his stories. Here's my conversation with Mike Sheldon, and stay tuned afterwards for a rundown of local running events. I'd like to now welcome Mike Sheldon to the podcast. Mike is the race director for the Westfield Half Marathon that is upcoming on September 11th. And Mike is also the race director for Gordy's first race, which takes place in Westfield on New Year's Day. Mike is also an accomplished marathoner, having completed, by my count anyway, 14 Boston marathons. That's correct. So, Mike, welcome to the Let's Run podcast. Thank you, Tim. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You recently returned from a a cross-country trip to Colorado to visit your son. I believe he lives in Colorado Springs. That's correct. How was the drive out there and back? How many days did it take? It usually takes, if I drive constantly three days out and three days back but I like to be in retired like you it's it's kind of nice I leave a couple days early in case I run into bad weather or on the way out I stopped in Columbus to visit some friends so I usually make it to Columbus area on the first day the second day I'm just west of Kansas City and on the third day I'm in Colorado so it's about 600 miles a day so you got to do some serious driving, but the drive went well. Did you take your Corvette? No, I, I have an old 92 Nissan 300ZX twin turbo. Wow. And it, it's a fun highway car. How many miles you got on that? Uh, let's see. The, the Nissan has about 225,000 miles on it. It's still going strong. It runs great. Wow. You visited your son out in Colorado Springs, right? Did you get to do any sightseeing? Oh, yeah, we did all kinds of stuff. Um, Air Force Academy. and Yeah, well, that's there, but we're both car guys, so we hit some car shows. Uh, my son has a friend that lives up in the mountains, and he was an, he's an old motorcycle. He's actually my age, and he's an old motorcycle racer. He's got a barn that's full of about 120 motorcycles, vintage bikes. So uh, he's kind of taken my son under his wing, and Taught them how to do carburetors. Nobody knows how to do carburetors anymore. Oh, God, no. Big stuff. So he's done uh, Bonneville salt flats on a motorcycle, 193 miles an hour. Wow. He's He's done the Pikes Peak road race about 15 times. There's a crazy bicycle race called the Isle of Man. And it's on, they go like 120 miles an hour on these uh, little narrow streets with stone walls and trees on both sides. And 
He's done that a bunch of times. So he's a very interesting guy. Actually, my son's got a podcast and he's going to interview uh, this guy for upcoming podcasts. You must have been in your glory then with all the oh, all yeah, the gear it was, heads. <laughs> it was great. We had a couple of car shows. And while I was out there, you've heard of the Pikes Peak running road race. Yes. But there's uh, also a car race. I took the car railway up there. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While I was out there, my son is a, a volunteer coordinator for one of the spectator areas at Pikes Peak Car Road Race. So we got to spectate at that and see these crazy cars. I mean, these guys are nuts. You know, it goes from 6,000 feet up to 14,000 feet. Yeah, lots of turns, and right? I think 216 turns. Wow, yeah, that's a treacherous course. <laughs> you better believe it. They used to race motorcycle. They don't do that anymore. No. <laughs> Too many guys have gotten killed. Wow. But anyway, so yeah, so... And generally, we take his one of his motorcycles out for a ride, and it's just nice seeing him. I hadn't seen him for a year and a half, so I kind of oh. snuck out there undercover. I didn't tell him I was coming. No, it was a surprise. It was a surprise. So I showed up Father's Day morning. I called him from his driveway at about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. I said, hey, you up yet? He said, yeah, I'm up. I'm doing my morning exercises. He said, well, look out in your driveway. <laughs> when he pops out the front door he's got his phone in his hand and his boxer shorts on and he, he he was like he'd look at me and he'd look at his phone he like couldn't comprehend that i was actually there <laughs> oh that must <laughs> have felt great, really it was, <laughs> it was a great surprise tim it was wonderful to see him and we had a good time oh great yeah nothing like family so anyway let's um like to talk about your work as a race director and and then get into your own uh running accomplishments and some of your, sure. your other activities as well so you're the race director for the westfield half how'd you get involved with with that well uh one of my friends in a in a Another Empire One club member, Gordon Bates, was the race director for both the, well, it was called the Alexak Half Marathon back then, yeah. and also the first race. So Gordy passed, I guess, about 12 years ago. Yeah, I think it was 2008. Okay, so 13 years ago. So I was helping him out for the last couple of years, and then he passed sort of unexpectedly. So I took over the half marathon and the first race. The first race was a, a 5K and a 10K. And uh, he used to do it out of a school, Juniper Park School, which is now affiliated with Westfield State University. But when I took it over, I already had a relationship with the Boys and Girls Club. So I held it out of the Boys and Girls Club, which is nice because at that time of year, you never really know what the weather's going to be. So it's nice to have an indoor venue for before and post-race activities. So, oh, yeah, I've done both those races. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a nice venue to, to hang out in after the race. Exactly. And all the proceeds go to the club. Nobody makes any money. And we try to keep our expenses to a minimum. And it's been a great association with the Boys and Girls Club in Westfield for, whew, I think the race, Tim, was started by Empire One 28 years ago. So it's been around for quite a while. Which one is that? The, the Gordy's first race or, or the half? Well, the, the half. It's called the Alexak half because Andy Alexak, who runs a local lumber yard here in town, 
was on the board of directors for the club, uh, Boys and Girls Club. So he became the major sponsor. He bought all the T-shirts and all that. So we thought we'd give him back then a little bit of advertisement by you know, naming the race after him. But I still see shirts with his name on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for both races, we, uh, right on the back of the neck, we still have Gordy on there just as a kind of remembrance to him because he was quite a local character and loved, like me, loved the Boys and Girls Club and the work that they do for the community. And uh, it's been an ongoing sort of tradition. And I don't know if you noticed, but um, particularly for the first race, a lot of the stuff is orange that we wear, the hats, yes, the yes. bandanas. So Gordy used to wear this orange hunter's cap all the time. So that's sort of a tribute kickback to, to Gordy as well. So yeah, I think I have an orange neck warmer from one of those races. <laughs> <laughs> and New Year's Day, you know, it's an um, interesting day for races. The last time you had it, I think it was... But 2019, I guess. Well, no, maybe it was 20. I remember it was the, the weather was really nice and, and you had quite a large walk-up registration. Yeah. Tim and Jill Murphy, I think they were overwhelmed. They, <laughs> you had to delay the start of the race. Yeah, yeah. I'd never start without everybody being registered and ready to go. Um, but yeah, that's one thing about race directing, Tim, is you never know how many people are really going to show up. So you have to buy shirts, food water you try to gauge and i i've tried different schemes like if you sign up three months before you get ten dollars off and all that but and i don't blame i'm former avid runner i understand that you don't want to sign up till fairly recent weather on january 1st right you never know how the weather's gonna be oh man the first time i ran it it wasn't really an organized race i just sent out some emails and called some people and I said, hey, we're going to, it's just going to be donations only. There's not going to be any formal stuff. And I think we had 47 people show up. It was seven degrees out. And the night before we got eight inches of fresh snow. So, so it shows you the, the hardiness of, uh, of runners that'll run in pretty much anything, you know? So, so that was very encouraging to me. We got 47, I think was the number of people to, to come out and then, from that point on, we made it a more formal advertised race with, you know, race fees and all that. The first year was just donations only. You probably get a lot of runners who would look forward to it and probably a few people who set New Year's resolutions and it's day one and <laughs> maybe they want to um, act on the New Year's resolution. Right. Every, every year, one of my little sayings to get encouraged people I say, start off the new year on the right foot or the left foot. Either way, come and join our race. Or if you want to walk, that's fine, too. So yeah. we get quite a few people, like you say, the resolution people. Right. And maybe a few people walking, maybe walking off hangovers from, <laughs> from New Year's Eve. Well, I, I think we've had a few people, uh, Tim, that show up that, I don't think they've been to bed yet. So <laughs> so back to the um, Westfield half, how's the registration for that one going? It's going really slow right now. We just went live uh, with online signups and stuff, I think probably a week and a half or two weeks ago. I think I've got 25 or 30 people signed up. Uh, so they're trickling in, but typically like we talked about before, it's the last two or three weeks where you get. So this year is... We'll wait and see how things go. Pandemic is still 
in the air, so to speak. And so I'm not sure how many people are comfortable running elbow to elbow, sweating for 13 miles. So we'll see. But we also, this year, we're having both uh, an in-person and a virtual race. So if you're not comfortable or if you're too far away, that's one of the things that surprised me about Gordy's when we did the virtual race is a number of my running friends from not local friends, but all around the U.S. and even a couple people from Europe that I know signed up for the virtual race. So, and it's great to be the race director of a virtual race because there's, I was going to say virtually nothing to do, but there's really <laughs> and virtually not much I have to do. Well, there's certainly a lot you have to do for an in-person event. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But my observation so far has been that the attendance is down as compared with before the pandemic. I, I think people are still getting used to going back to the old routine. And the other thing is that a lot of the races that are normally held in the spring have been postponed to the fall. So that now there's a lot of competition. The Westfield half is normally uh, it's in early June. And it, before that, it had been in March. So I remember it was a March race. It was kind of a, a Boston tune-up. That's correct. But then what was the motivation behind moving it to June? Well, the Boys and Girls Club is in one of my years, and the runners are in the, my other year. And the Boys and Girls Club always wanted to, to go in the better weather to get more people involved, you know, more runners. Right. Uh, late March, as you said, was it was a tune-up for the Boston Marathon for many, many years, and that worked out well. And then they were they were asking me, well, let's change it to later in the year, you know. So it was either like June or fall, and like you said, even in the fall, even pre-pandemic, the fall race calendar was pretty full. So I said, well, let's try June. And uh, so we did that for three or four years and it worked out well. We were able to have, we used to have in March, the post race, it was a nice pasta dinner, salad, all kinds of stuff up in the gymnasium on the second floor of the club, holds a lot of people, it was inside. But when we went to June, we were able to talk to the people over at the, the skating rink, Amelia Rink, and in back of the rink is in between the, the rink and the Boys and Girls Club is Amelia Garden, which is probably, a, I'm going to guess, like a two-acre lawn with flowers and benches and, and fountains, just a beautiful area. It was very nice. So, so we were able to, to have a cookout, hot dogs, uh, hamburgs, veggie burgers, a couple different kinds of salad. We added beer and wine to the menu. And that seemed to go over very well. We always have, and that's very, very close to the finish line. So you can hear the finish line announcer. He plays music. And it's the, the people with children, small children, love that uh, garden because it's all fenced in. There's only one entrance that's open and closed. So the kids can kind of run around. And so the first year we did it, well, the, traditionally, people had, after the race would go in, have some pasta, and then they go home. But the first year we did it, people are eating, drinking, having a beer, talking. I'm, I almost had to make an announcement. Okay, last call. Race is over. <laughs> go, go home. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I like. That's I enjoy seeing the runners 
cross the line. Uh, that's my reward is, is just watching the, the faces of people uh, crossing the line, quite an accomplishment. I think almost ever since I took it over, a number of female runners has been increasing every year. So it's really nice to see a lot of female runners cross the line and all their friends are waiting for them. And it's a, an exciting... Uh, Earlier podcast, we're talking about the demographics of runners. And I, I think now there's, there's more female runners than male runners. Yeah, that's been the case, at least for, for the races that I manage. You know, I don't know any uh, national statistics, but in just in our little community here, it's it's certainly been the case. And this, yeah. uh, you mentioned that Tim and Jill Murphy... Every year, they usually bring a group over, maybe 15, 20 people that they've, that they've trained for a certain distance, so they come over. Debbie Garcia does a program at the local uh, YMCA, and she usually brings 20 or so people over. So it's been a good community event and great for people who never considered themselves to be runners, and all of a sudden... You run a race, you finish a race, and you feel good about yourself and life-changing in some in some instances. Absolutely. I agree. And it's a great fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. I think the Boys and Girls Club are undergoing an expansion. They, they certainly are. This is their second expansion just in the time that I've been associated with the races and them. They did an expansion up and out. Uh, I'm going to guess... 10 years ago, maybe they added the whole second floor with the double gymnasium up there. And now they're going out back. And it's really a, a wonderful organization for the local communities all of, all around the United States. When you are going out to attract sponsors and you mentioned the Boys and Girls Club, I think it opens uh, quite a few checkbooks. So it's always yeah. nice to have that association with an organization like that, that does so much for the community, especially this past year in the pandemic. Every day they gave out, I think two meals a day, a lunch and an evening meal. It's six different locations in town and they were, they've been open now for, for quite a while. And uh, I think, I think Bill Parks, the, the director told me one time, they, on a pre-pandemic, they were getting like 400 kids through the doors every day. Wow. And all kinds of activities from dance to weights to poetry to singing to you pretty much name it. And they have a group that that does it. They have a pool in there, too. It's a, a great resource for the community. It is. For sure. So um, you mentioned earlier challenges of being a race director. And on my last podcast, I had Grant Ritter, who is, you know, he's the race director for events hosted by Impact Racing, you know, the uh, Happy Valley half and, and okay. a couple others. And, and I did a little research prior to um, talking with him. And I found that you can actually take a course to become a race director. The Road Runners Club of America, they host this online course and, you know, you, you could send them $290 and take an online test and be a certified race director. But yeah. I was looking at, you know, some of the items and it is quite a bit, quite a few things, especially for a larger race like yours, where you have, um, I think the half, you, you know, between all the uh, distances, you have over 600 runners. Right. You know, things like you know, designing the course and the financial aspects of it and sponsors and marketing and so volunteers. And so how, how, 
how do you manage all that? <laughs> well, the first couple of years, it was, well, it's still stressful, but the first couple of years were really stressful because Gordy didn't have a lot of documentation. So you just kind of muddle through it. You know, I made, as, as I did things, I made checklists like three months, four months before the race, you got to have this done. Two months before the race, you got to have that done. So I have a checklist of things now that I've been doing it. I think this is my 13th year doing it. And I've gotten a lot of the volunteers are the same people. The Boys and Girls Club has been invaluable, especially they get the water. Laren, uh, who's the chief financial person for the club, she gets uh, patrons of the club, supporters of the club to go out and do the water stops. The person who does the kitchen and Christine Orsella, who works in the office, they do all the food. They, they get the food. Those are things I just don't have to worry about or think about because every year they do a great job. But the other things, I, I equate it, Tim, to, to planning a wedding every year. Yeah. <laughs> well, you plan for six months or longer. The morning of the, of the race, there's nobody there except you and a handful of volunteers. Pretty soon, hundreds of people show up. And in a couple hours, it's all over. And yeah. you start thinking about next year. <laughs> but when it all comes together, that must be a good feeling, right? When you, you've done all that work and you yeah. a few butterflies before the event. And, and then yeah. when, when everything's humming along, it, it, it must be a really good feeling. It's, it's really rewarding uh, after the race, after I go around, pick up all the mile markers, the water tables, the cups in the road the goo packets <laughs> and put all, all those back in storage for next year. Then the first few years I was going up to whip city brew. And one of my things was the first round is on me, but I didn't advertise it too much. Cause I didn't want, <laughs> Which I, didn't I, want knew. I didn't want 600 people showing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we go up there and kind of celebrate the day and, it's, it's nice when I get home that evening and it's just me and I sit and read some of the emails and put up the, the results and things like that. You're right. It's very rewarding to have uh, sort of uh, affected so many people in a positive way. Yeah, one year after Goody's, I think there were a group of us, Empire One folks, we went to the tavern in downtown sure. Westfield. Lots of good restaurants now in downtown Westfield. So yeah, it's, it's not... improving. You know, I like the Two Rivers Burritos. Yeah, Joe runs our races. He's a he's a runner, and he's he's been okay. I didn't know that doing Gordy's, and I think he does the the shorter distances. But well, he's married with two kids and a business, so I think his uh, his yeah. training time is probably at a premium. You know, so. right? And um, for breakfast, I like the good table right downtown. Yeah. It's busy on a Sunday morning there. Yeah, I have a a regular uh, Wednesday morning group that we go to the to the good table and uh, have breakfast. So it's nice and circuit coffee right on the corner. Yep. I don't know if you're a coffee drinker, but I am actually, and I'll have to try that. It's very good. Tell, tell Ted, Ted that Mike Sheldon sent you. I will. <laughs> so let's um, now talk about your running. Um, are you still running today? No, I don't run anymore, Tim, but I, I don't really even have a good excuse. My <laughs> knees are good. My hips are good. I don't know that I'm too lazy, but I just don't enjoy it as much as I used to. Like, Well, see, I started later in life. You started earlier, right? 
I did. I started in my yeah, 35 to 40 ish. So mm -hmm. I started running. Yeah. So, well, you did a ton of Boston Marathon. So I looked it up on, on the marathon website and, and I counted 14 that you ran from. You started at 96 and then, and then I missed 97. And then I had a 13 year streak going. So, yeah, you had a 13 year streak from, from 98 to uh, 2010. You should have a, a second career as a detective because you're you're absolutely <laughs> correct. Yeah. 14, 14, I love Boston Marathon. It was probably my favorite marathon. I love races with history. And you don't get too many races with more history than the Boston Marathon. Oh, and, for sure. That's the gold standard of, of marathons. And, and yeah. So do, do any uh, events stand out? Yeah. Um, the first one, actually, I trained for it. And I trained hard. I decided like a week before the race that this was going to be the icing on the cake. You know, I trained hard. I qualified and I was just going to enjoy the day. So I just, I said to myself, just slap some high five, some kids, you know, have fun on the course. And you probably know better than I, I think I ran a 330 something, a 336 or 337. That was your second year. Actually, I'm, I got it right in front of me here. So okay. your first year was 350, but then, this, okay. but then your second, the, in 98 was 339. Okay. 55. So that's, uh, that's impressive. So it was just fun. And I, and as I ran along, I, was it, uh, the history of the Boston, Hal Higdon? Hal Higdon. Yeah. Yeah. He just turned 90, yeah, yeah, I saw I that. a story about him. <laughs> yeah, he, he wrote a book, The History of the Boston Marathon, which I read prior to my first uh, running of the race. So I knew all these little places where Tarzan Brown had jumped in the, in the lake to cool off. And so as I'm running, I remembered all these little things. I always stopped at the Johnny Kelly statue yep. uh, right across from the town hall in Newton. Yep. And I always, it, it's just off the course a little bit. I'd run off the course, give them a little pat on the butt and continue <laughs> up the hill. So you're better than me. I, so I've run it three times and I, I've never noticed it while running. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you have to kind of know it's there. It's, it's, yeah. it's about 50 feet off the course, but. You know, I, found, I eventually found that, well, I don't know if you did this or not, three weeks before the marathon, the group of us, we'd go down and we'd do like a training run and we wouldn't do the whole route, but we would all go out to like Boston College and then run, run westbound for 10 miles and then back eastbound. Okay. But we would, and we stopped at the Johnny Kelly statue for some pictures. Yeah. yeah. We used to do a similar thing, Tim. I, I belong to a, an online running group oddly enough, called the Dead Runners Society. <laughs> and they've been around since the early 90s. And I think every year that I ran it, I organized a similar pre-race running. Uh, we used to call it the crude run. Yeah, the crude the, run. Yeah, that's what I was with Griffin's friends. And that's what we called it, the yeah. crude run. Yeah, yeah. We used to go out and do that. But we park at the town hall in Newton and the crew would give us rides out to Hopkinton and then they would crew every uh, mile or two with water and Gatorade. And uh, a couple of times it was on Easter. So we had jelly beans and peeps. And one, one year on Easter, I went out and I, I hid um, Easter eggs and all kinds of little treats along the course. And I gave the runners like a little cheat sheet. Uh, <laughs> 
where they could find these little goodies. So we used to have a lot of fun. And like you said, it was a, a great training run for Boston. And yeah, it was a, always a festive day. The, exactly. The crude run. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised. It must've been thousands of people out running the, the years I, was, that I did it. Not as many as race day, but it was. No, no, not like race day. It was pretty but. crowded and, and many local clubs would do what we did. They had little water stations set up and, you know, so you kind of fall into step with some of them and chit chat. And yeah, it was great. The whole Boston Marathon weekend, I would usually go in on Friday when I was running and do a volunteer stint okay. at the expo. So we used to have a lot of fun doing that. So I used That's to go, great. I used to spend the whole weekend there. My friend Connie lives across the river. So I used to stay with her and we'd have a, a great time. We go to a Red Sox game usually on on either Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. And I used to put on a, an event, a dinner on Saturday nights for all the, the, the dead runners <laughs> coming in from different parts of the country and around the world. You're quite an organizer. Yeah. I, You're a perfect race director. <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoy getting people together and, and having a good time, Tim. So compared to race directing, organizing a dinner is, is pretty easy. Right. So, so you probably never took the Harriers bus from West Springfield. I never took the Harriers bus. I took a bus uh, out of Boston. My friend Connie belonged to, oh God, I'm not going to be able to remember the Cambridge sports union, CSU. And And they had a bus that used to leave from MIT and go out to Boston. And Connie, my friend that I stayed with, she was Chinese by heritage but she was brought up in Hawaii and right on the main street in Hopkinson is a, a, an engineering business. And the guy loves Hawaii that runs the business. So we used to invite all the Hawaiian runners to his business on race morning. So he had bagels and fruit and water and all kinds of stuff. So didn't have to go out and fight the, the thousands of uh, runners. So you didn't hang out at the Athletes Village? <laughs> <laughs> the first year I ran it, I took the bus. It was a good experience. But then a friend of mine who had run it a few times, he says, you really got to take the school bus from Boston <laughs> Common to Hopkinton. That's, that's quite an experience. I did that once, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Meeting other you know, nervous runners. Never know who you're going to sit next to. Funny story. My daughter, I used to get some tickets to the Red Sox game. So my, my daughter and son and my wife would come in. And so my daughter was driving in one time on race morning. So I get a call from her. She said, I don't know what's going on. She said, it looks like they're evacuating the city. All these <laughs> buses are coming out of Boston. <laughs> I said, no, that's the runners going out to Hopkinton. She said, oh, <laughs> so she's coming in for the 11 o'clock uh, Red Sox game. Exactly. Yeah. I had never run Boston. I got tickets on Patriots Day to go to a game. And that's sort of how I started running Boston after the game. I said, well, it's always a nightmare getting out of the city after a game. So I said, let's go over to Kenmore Square. We'll watch a few runners go through. We'll go back. We'll get in the car and we'll go home. Well, two hours later, we're still standing there cheering. And who would have thought cheering and yelling and screaming for a bunch of sweaty skinny people running by would be so much fun but yeah everybody seemed to enjoy it and 
I said that year, wow, how cool would it be? Because my daughter was a senior in high school that year and she had been accepted to Boston University. So I knew she was going to be a student in 96. She was a freshman. So I said, well, let me see what I can do about this. So I trained and I qualified at the Bay State Marathon that fall and, and ran it the next year. So that was the beginning of my Boston Marathon uh, experience. And the race has grown quite a bit, even in the, the 14 years that you ran it. Yeah, I think it was like eight to 10,000 people, 12,000. Not the first year because that was the 100th. Oh, that's and right. They, that they, was the 100th. They, they, yeah. They had, a, they had a lottery that year. Yeah, I remember uh, they had like almost 40,000. 40,000 runners, yes. So I had hit the lottery. So I was in, but then I qualified. So I took my qualifying time rather than the lottery. Sure. I called them and said, look, I got a lottery number, but I also qualified. I'd rather have the, the qualified number. So so that's what we did. But it was yeah. quite, quite an experience. Yeah, it sure is. So you've run other events. You mentioned the Bay State. So uh, did you keep track of how many marathons you've done over the years? I think so, Tim. I think it's 32 or 33 that that I've run. A couple of other races that I did was uh, I did a a race. It's called a Comrades Marathon in South Africa. Oh, wow. Never heard of that. Uh, Look it up. It's a pretty cool race. It's actually an ultra marathon. It's an 89 kilometer race, which translates out to just over a double marathon. It's 54 miles. Wow. Starts in it's it's an old race. I did it in the year 2000, and it was the 75th anniversary of the race. So it started in 1925 in South Africa as a tribute to uh, it's called comrades because that's what they called veterans coming back from World War One. Okay. So it started as a tribute. It's almost like their Memorial Day or Fourth of July over there. It's a very historic event. Lots of unique features. Um, it's one of the few events that was uh, not part of apartheid. So they had black runners, white runners, all competing at the same level. The year I did it, there was 20,000 runners that ran 54 miles. Another unique aspect it goes from Durban, South Africa, which is on the East Coast and runs over five big hills and ends at a small city inland called Peter Martsburg. But every year they switch. One year is an uphill year from Durban and the next year they do a, they start in Peter Martsburg and go downhill. So which way did you go? Uphill, uphill, uphill. of course. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to make it too easy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Had you ever run anything close to 54 miles prior? No, no, never, never. Um, I mean, ultras are a big deal now. I meet all kinds of people who run ultras. and uh, Exactly. I was up in Vermont uh, last weekend with a couple ultra runners. Uh, my friend Mary Arnold from New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, she met Michael Shallow in the Empire One Running Club years ago. They end up getting married. They moved to New York City. And she's become quite the ultra runner. She's done a a number of 100-mile races. And one of the guys that came to dinner while I was up there, he just finished a 200-mile race. So they weren't too popular when I first started running, but 
got more so as I aged. So that, that was a lot of fun doing that. So I, I went with a group of runners uh, from the Dead Runners Society, actually, one of the guys that lives in Sacramento, he's uh, was the president of the Buffalo Chips Running Club out there. <laughs> so he puts these running sort of vacations together. So I joined nice. that group. And after the race, we went into a tourist mode. We went up to um, Victoria Falls. We went to Zimbabwe. We went to a game park. Uh, we went down to Cape Town. But it was fun because we're a group of runners. So what do you get up every morning? You go for a run, have a breakfast. And, you know, it was it was funny, Tim, because when you're traveling with a group of runners like that, basically, we, we try to look for restaurants that offered buffets. We go through the buffet line and we basically empty every sterno <laughs> uh, tray right. that was there, you know. Go free eating, right? Because you could <laughs> run it off the next morning. <laughs> Wow. So you've done a lot of traveling. So I was um, recently in the uh, New Horizons bike shop in, in Westfield. And okay. I was talking with uh, my buddy, Don Podolsky. Don? Sure. And, and somehow your, your name came up in conversation. We were just talking about fall events because he's um, organizing the Great River Ride in the fall. And um, anyway, he said you, you came to him once. You bought a bicycle in Italy and then brought it to Don to get tuned up. So the must be a good story behind that. Well, the first time I went to Italy was with that group of runners. And then one day we were in Florence and I, I had seen enough churches, enough duomos and museums. I, so I found a place that, that rented bicycles and they, this guy did a little tour of, of the hills around Florence. So I and a group of about 12 other cyclists, we went up in the hill towns and he had arranged a lunch at a restaurant up there and then a, a stop at a vineyard. So I said to myself, if I ever come back, this is what I want to do. Get a bicycle and go these little towns and farm country. And so a couple of years later at work, one of the guys that I used to run with at lunchtime, he was organizing these trips to Italy usually in May, to follow a bicycle race in Italy called the Giro d'Italia. And it's, it's very similar in premise to the uh, Tour de France. A lot of the same teams, same riders. It's a 21-day stage race around Italy. So the, for the following six or seven years, I went with a group of, I'd say it was eight to 12 of us, that would go over and he, his ancestral town was about 80 miles west of Rome in the Apennines mountains. And so we would go there for half the time, ride, and then we would follow the Giro stages for a week or so. There's two things we couldn't pass, Tim. Cafes for espresso and cappuccino <laughs> yeah. and, and bicycle shops. <laughs> but we were in this one bicycle shop and they, they had this beautiful little Italian racing bike, a small aluminum frame. It was an older bike. It was used, but the paintings on it and the, it was, and it had all campy components on it. And I'm, I just fell in love with the bike and it fit me great. So I ended up buying the bike and we used to bring our bikes over prior to that over to Italy. So one of the guys had an, an empty bike box so I put it in that and shipped it back to the United States and it's still hanging up in my garage. But like a lot of the Italian cars, 
Ferraris and Lamborghinis, they're great, stylish, <laughs> but mechanically they require quite a bit of work. <laughs> so I brought it to Don because I know Don's the guy. So I said, it's got all campy stuff on it, but I kept losing derailers and all kinds of stuff. So I brought it to him and said, Don, do whatever it takes, put on new, new gears, chain, whatever, just make this bike reliable. So, so that's, that's how I got to know Don with this. Yeah. He remembered you. <laughs> well, it's a unique bike. It's got big aero wheels. Even the spokes are flat or aerodynamic. <laughs> Not that I ever go fast enough to, to <laughs> need that kind of a uh, aerodynamic, but yeah, but you are a cyclist though, right? You um, completed the iron horse bicycle classic. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. I, my cousin Jimmy lives in, out in Pagosa Springs, which is in Colorado, very near Durango, which is the town where the Iron Horse Classic starts. And his daughter is quite a bicyclist. She wins out there a lot of uh, mountain bike races. So she was going to do the Iron Horse Classic. So Jimmy sort of challenged me to go out there and and ride along with Colleen, his daughter. I said, well, I'm gonna do the race, but I'm not gonna try to keep up with her. <laughs> well, the whole premise of the race is, there's a couple thousand riders, you line up in downtown Durango next to the train tracks, and there's a, a steam train that goes between Durango and Silverton. It goes over five 10,000 foot passes, and it's about a 54 mile uh, ride. So the steam train blows its whistle and that's the start of the race. The steam train takes off, the riders take off, and the goal is to beat the steam train to Silverton. Wow. It's, it's great because they close the road down. There's lots of course support. They have uh, state troopers out there monitoring people in traffic. So it's it was a lot of fun to do that. It's quite an elevation gain too, right? Yeah, yeah, it, was, it wasn't so much the distance, although 50 miles is nothing to sneeze at. It was the elevation that got you. It actually, on the, on the descent, there's, um, the last pass is called the Molus Pass, and it's an eight-mile descent into Silverton. So I'm going down, and my bicycle was really tuned well, so I can coast much better than most bicycles and riders. So I'm I'm gaining speed. I'm gaining speed. I'm and gaining on a state police car, which is in front of me. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, should I pass him or not? <laughs> Be before I got to him, he he sped up and it, he made it the decision easy for me. But when I finished the race, speedometers on on bicycles are more like computers. They keep track of temperature, elevation gain, elevation loss, all kinds of statistics. One of them is top speed. I hit 61 miles an hour wow. coming down that. I didn't know it at the time while I was on the road, but kind of scared the crap out of me when I looked. At it. I think I'd be scared going 60 <laughs> miles an hour on a bicycle. <laughs> but yeah, that was a great race. And when we went to Europe, we followed the Giro for a number of years. And we also followed the Tour de France for a number of years. And the guy that plans our ride. You've been to France and seen the Tour de France live? Oh, yeah. Yeah, three or four times. Wow. One of the nice things about being there during those races, as they close the roads down three or four hours before the riders come through, and they let the local yokels like us get out on the course. So we would ride 
the Giro courses and the Tour de France courses, the actual course with no traffic, three or four hours. And then when the, the race was coming up behind us, the Carbonieri, which is the, the local Italian state police, would come by and, and kind of shoo us over to the side of the road. We'd watch the race go by, then we'd jump back on and, and finish our ride. So it was a lot of fun. But the guy that plans our rides, he loved to climb mountains. So I think we've climbed every major climb. The, let's see, Alpe d'Huez, Sestrier, Galibier, Ventoux, all the major climbs in Italy and France. So it was... Is this hiking or real climbing? With... Oh, on the bike. On the bike. Oh, on the bike. We used to swear at him all the way up. But once he got up to the top, it was like a goal. And you're at these mountaintop finishes and you look around and all these beautiful scenic views. So we raced in, uh, in the Dolomites, the uh, Italian Alps, the French Alps. We were sort of like a, like a self-guided tour. One guy made all the arrangements for staying over. I got the, we rented usually two vans, two large vans. Another guy um, planned the, the race routes. Uh, another guy sort of figured out where we were going to eat each night. So we were sort of a self-guided group, but it was a lot of fun. And there, there was a core group of probably four or five of us that did, that did it every year and about the same number of other riders that would come along. And so it was a lot of fun. And the last time I did that was 2015. And I was, I think, how old was I? Yeah, I was old. <laughs> I was 60 plus. A lot of the riders were much younger than I, so. Hard to keep up. They would do these mountains every day. And every second or third day, I'd take the day off and I'd, I'd ride the valley rides down by the rivers and stop at all the little coffee shops and pastry shops. And so it wasn't so bad. No, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. So you've, you've been all over the world, to South Africa, Italy, France. Yeah, uh, yeah. one year we did a, a relay race across Sweden and Norway, and it was about 220-something miles, kind of similar to Reach the Beach Relay up in New Hampshire. Usually starts at one of the mountains and goes to uh, Hamden Beach. Yeah. So this this race in, across Sweden and Norway I called it the gentleman's relay because every night you would stop, have a meal, sleep. It wasn't like a 24-hour continuous, you know, but it's named after one of the, the, the kings of... Uh... Maybe Gustav. I spent some time in Sweden when I was younger. Oh, you did? Okay. In fact, I lived there for a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, I worked on a wind turbine project. I was working for Hamilton Standard as an engineer okay. in 1981. I was... Yeah, 26 years old. Great. I lived in Karlskrona, Sweden, right on the Baltic Sea. It was, uh, it was a great experience. The race finished in Trondheim, pretty far up. Where did it start? Did it start like up by Stockholm? No, it started, oh man, I can't remember the name of the town, but it was equal in, in latitude to, to Trondheim. Okay. So we, we took a, a couple uh, planes, landed in Stockholm, and then we took a train up to this this town where the race started. And okay. I think there was a, like 200 teams of, I think there was 12 people on a team. So it was like a small portable town running. 
and everybody had to make their own arrangements. They had buses, they had RVs, and we rented vans. And I'll have to look that up. In doing research, a few weeks ago, I had a, a, a podcast about half marathons. And turns out the largest half marathon in the world is in Sweden. It's in Gothenburg. They have a half marathon that attracts 45,000 runners. <laughs> wow, that's quite an event. You know, as a race director of a couple small, relatively small running races, I can just appreciate the planning. Oh, yeah. That's like the New York City Marathon, right? <laughs> yeah. And even these races, like cross-country races, like the Reach the Beach and the one in Sweden, it'll come to me, Tim. To do all these different places, like the water stops, and you have to have a place to get some food and to, you know, yeah. to staff all those places. The logistics are just boggle my mind, you yeah, know? Yeah, a lot of planning. So I want to get back to your running for a second. So, um, you were a guide for John Platter, who's a right. deaf runner, and you and John recently completed the Old Colony Half Marathon in Westfield. Correct. And I believe that you started at 12.30 a.m.? We started very early, Tim. That was our, our finish, and we actually walked it. They also offer a full, and it's part of that New England race series. Yep. Are you familiar with that? Well, I, I learned about it as I was doing research for the, for these podcasts. Yeah. yeah you know, and then so they have like seven marathons in seven days. There's, there's five. It's called the New England Challenge. Yeah. And it, in every New England state, you can do a, a half marathon or a marathon mm -hmm. in five consecutive days. The one in Massachusetts just happens to be in Westfield. So, John, he sort of talked me into it. <laughs> and I could see that. <laughs> but you, so you're involved with the um, Achilles Track Club? Through John, yes. Through John. And, and that's an organization that promotes physical activity for handicapped people? That's absolutely correct. Yeah, it's, it's a worldwide organization. John um, uh, got involved with them uh, when he does the New York City Marathon. John has done. Yeah, he's a New York City Marathon streaker, right? He'll correct me, but I think he's done. 31 New wow. York City marathons. That's amazing. And, and the last, I don't know how many of them have been with the Achilles, but I had been familiar with them just through running in general, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so he talked me into it, to accompanying him. And then he said, well, why don't you join Achilles? So I did through uh, the New York Roadrunners. <laughs> no training or anything that's involved. You just sort of volunteer and go out and do it. No, that's, that's great that you do that. Since I stopped running, sort of my involvement with the running community is to try to give back through being a race director and this, um, the Achilles group to kind of give back to running. So that's like 99% of the runners for the first 20 years I ran, you know, you show up for a race, you do the race, then you go home and you don't even realize like you through the podcast have gotten some kind of a handle on what it takes to put on one of these events. And it's not trivial, you know, no, so it's not. I don't think anybody really aspires to be a race director. You sort of somebody that, you know, involves you somehow and gets you involved and it's addicting. I, I do enjoy it. It's a few sleepless nights the night before thinking, what did I forget? I know I forgot something. I used to organize bus trips to Fenway Park. Right. 
I was on a few of those trips. Yeah, that's right. I did it with the running. I used to do it through when I worked at Hamilton and, and at Pratt. Okay. One year we had four buses. I had um, back, it was 2004. <laughs> it was the year they won the World Series. And, and that right. summer, I bought 220 tickets. Wow. So we filled four 55-passenger buses. It was easy when I was working at Hamilton because I would just send out the email, you know, Red Sox yeah. bus trip, and I'd get inundated with responses. It was easy. <laughs> it, was, it was actually harder when I was trying to organize it with a running club because we just didn't have the same kind of communication network and right. maybe not as many people to draw from. But 2004, that was the year. That was the year, you bet. You're a big fan, right? You go to many games? I probably go to a dozen games a year. I have a friend who has a weekday season tickets. So Monday through Friday, he has two tickets. So if he has an extra ticket, I, I told him, just give me a two hour heads up, two hours to drive into Boston and I'll be there. So oh, that's great. That was good. And I have s several other friends and occasionally I bought tickets for myself to go in. And so, yeah, I, on marathon weekend, like I said before, it was, I usually go to a game either Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And it's just fun. There's certain places where you just kind of feel at home. <laughs> and Fenway Park is, is definitely one of them. I just I identify with the crowd. I love being there. The excitement buzz, you know, it's, I, you know, I don't have to convince yeah, you. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid. So I grew up near Boston. I grew up in Saugus. And I remember my dad, It was this was back in the mid-60s, and he would take us on family night. They had a deal where yeah. the, the head of the household pays full price, and you bring the kids for half price. And yeah. the first time just walking from the concourse and looking at the field and how green the field was and the yellow foul pole and the sounds of oh, the yeah. ball hitting the mid. The pesky pole. and Yeah. Whenever I bring a person who's never been to Fenway, I always go out through the aisleway onto the field behind home plate. Yes, yes. So you get the full view, yep. the monster on your left, the pesky pole on your right. It's a beautiful, historic park, and I just yeah. I love being there. Yeah, yeah, we do too. Actually, we're going this Saturday to, to see the Yankees. Uh, by the time this podcast airs, the, the game will have been played. But so, Mike, this has been a lot of fun catching up with you. Uh, you've got so many accomplishments and you've done so much for running uh, with race directing. Um, like you, Tim, I enjoy keeping busy and I just love being outside. I don't run anymore, as we've not talked about, but I think four or five days a week, I walk three to four miles. I like the trail walking in the wood. So I'm still out there. My cars all have removable tops, no tops or T-tops. I like being outside, getting some fresh air. You still get your 62 Corvette? I do, yeah. I actually had it out yesterday. I've had that car, Tim, since 1974. Wow. There's eight generations of Corvettes. The first generation went from 1953 to 1962. So I have the last year of the first generation of Corvette. So it's very, uh, compared to the newer ones, it's very crude. The, the suspension is like mid-50s technology and drum brakes. And it's a different kind of a car to drive. But that's what I love about it. Great that you have so many hobbies. I'm, I'm sure you keep very busy. I do. I enjoy it. Great. So I'll see you uh, out and about, maybe at the half. I, I am running Boston this year myself. Oh, great. Since I stopped running every year, I'm out at mile seven, 
handing out water or Gatorade. So I'm in Framingham. Framingham. I'll have to look the for right you. hand side of the road. Right after is a little Dunkin' Donuts right there. So well, that doesn't narrow it down this time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. If you still got your wits about you at mile seven and I and I see you, and I'll give you a high five. Yeah, I'll be looking for you. Good luck to you, man. Yeah, thanks. I hopefully my knee will hold out. You know, I did a 13 mile training run yesterday. Well, good for you. And how was the knee? The knee was okay? I'm feeling fine, you know, a little. Oh, that's good. It's a little hard. I don't know how many more of these I'm going to do, but it's such a special race. And I feel like if I am able to do it, I should do it. Because <laughs> because I know so many people who would just give their left arm to do it and they can't. And, exactly. And, and so I can do it. So I, I, yeah. I feel like an obligation it's, to do it. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. I remember one year. I was staying with Connie and, and her daughter and I we were walking to Fenway Park to watch a game on, I think, Sunday before the, the race. So Connie's daughter, Malia, turned to her mother and says, does Mike realize he's limping and he's got to run 26 miles tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Rice, uh, rest, nice depression and elevation. And a little ibuprofen, maybe. <laughs> yeah, a lot of ibuprofen. Yeah, right, right. Take care, Mike. This has been great, and I'll see you around and about. Always great chatting with you, and I look forward to seeing you. Now for a rundown of local running events. The local running club weeknight race series continues. On Monday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Empire One Running Club hosts a three-mile cross-country race at Stanley Park in Westfield. On Tuesday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club hosts a 5K cross-country race at the Northampton Community Gardens. This past Tuesday, they had their largest turnout thus far, 72 runners. Also on Tuesday evenings, the Child's Trail races for children 15 and under will take place at 6.30 p.m., at Van Horn Park in Springfield. On Wednesday evenings, the Greater Springfield Harriers host their summer sizzler races at Forest Park. The run on Wednesday, July 28th, will be on the 8K on-road route. And on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Empire One Running Club hosts 5K races at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. They also had a nice turnout this past week with over 100 runners, which meant that Dick Arsenault hosted Spin the Wheel at the Elks for a cash prize. Also on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m., the Northfield Summer Road Race Series takes place. Here's a quick rundown of all events in Hamden, Hampshire, Franklin, and Berkshire counties between now and the end of October. There's a few new events on the race calendar. The Greenfield Triathlon will take place on Sunday, August 1st. The event features both international and sprint tri courses. The Sweltering Summer Ultra takes place on Saturday, August 14th in Pittsfield. You can enter in either the 8-hour run or the 5K run. On Sunday, August 15th, the Mount Greylock Trail Races takes place in Adams. Distances include 13.5 miles and 3 miles. The Frozen Yogurt 5K is a virtual event that can be run anytime between August 15th and August 22nd. This event supports the Gandara Center. On Saturday, August 21st, the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club hosts the 40th annual Montague Mug Race. Also on Saturday, August 21st, 
the first annual Pinkway 5K run and walk will take place at Ashley Reservoir in Holyoke. On Sunday, August 22nd, the fifth annual Race to End Child Abuse takes place in Greenfield. The Dalton Community Recreation Association May Day races are now scheduled to take place on Sunday, August 29th. This is include 10K, 5K, and a two-mile run. The New England Green River Marathon takes place on Sunday, August 29th. This race is already sold out. The Hoyt 5K Run and Walk will take place on Sunday, August 29th in Longmeadow. Here's the September race calendar. The Berkshire Running Center hosts the 46th Mount Greylock 8-mile road race on Sunday, September 5th. The Westfield 5K, 10K, and Half Marathon will take place on Saturday, September 11th at the Boys and Girls Club in Westfield. Mike Sheldon, my featured guest on this podcast, is the race director for this event, which raises money for the Boys and Girls Club of Westfield. On Sunday, September 12th, the Black Birch Vineyard 10-mile race will take place in North Hatfield, hosted by Impact Racing Events. From Friday, September 10th to Sunday the 12th, the Notchview Ultra Trail Runs takes place in Windsor, Mass. You can run for 48, 24, 12, 6, or 3 hours. The Healthy Kids Running Series for kids in grades pre-K through 8th grade takes place in Southwick on five Sundays this fall, starting from September 12th through October 10th. On Saturday, September 18th, Colby's Path to the Cure 5K takes place at Stanley Park in Westfield. This event raises funds for synovial sarcoma research and awareness. On Saturday, September 18th, the Don Maynard Memorial 5-mile race will take place in Greenfield. The Walter Childs Race of Champions, otherwise known as the Holyoke Marathon, is tentatively scheduled to take place on Sunday, September 19th. Also on the Harriers website, there's a link for anyone who would like to apply to run for Team Hoyt at the 2021 Boston Marathon. On Sunday, September 26th, Impact Racing, along with the Sugarloaf Mountain Athletic Club, hosts the Summit Run 5K, a race to the summit of Mount Holyoke and Hadley. Also on September 26th, the Spartan Sprint 5K will take place in East Longmeadow to raise funds for the East Longmeadow Educational Endowment Fund. Now for some October events. The West Springfield Rotary Club hosts a Donut Dash in October. This is a hybrid event, meaning that there's a virtual component as well as an in-person 5K. More info to come on the live 5K event. Sunday, October 3rd, that I'm declaring as Tom Brady Day is a very busy day for races. Impact Racing hosts the Fort Hill Brewery Half Marathon and 5K on October 3rd in East Hampton. Also on October 3rd, the Gunnery Sergeant Thomas J. Sullivan Remembrance Run, a 5K run and two-mile walk at Nathan Bills in Springfield, will take place. The inaugural Steel Rail Marathon takes place along with the Half Marathon and 8K on October 3rd. The marathon and half marathon will start in Lanesboro at what's left of the Berkshire Mall, while the AK starts in Cheshire. All events end in Adams. N another race on October 3rd is the Covered Bridge Classic 10K in Conway, Mass. This event also features a 1.7-mile kids race. And yet another race on October 3rd is the fifth annual Superhero Run, a 10K run and 5K walk or run event in Northampton.
Another race hosted by Impact Racing events this fall is the Happy Valley Half Marathon and 5K at Look Park in Northampton. This race will take place on Sunday, October 17th. To celebrate Halloween, the East Longmeadow Recreation Department is partnering with 4Run3 to host the first Spooky Sprint on Saturday, October 30th. Costumes are not required, but are definitely encouraged. And as always, check the Hartford Marathon Foundation website for a listing of all their upcoming events. Thank you for listening to the Let's Run Western Mass Running Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And as always, happy running.